0: Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Laughlin, And if you remember, a couple weeks ago, we had an episode with Kyle Harrison talking about aquaponics and kind of a general overview of the history of aquaponics and, and hydroponics and what it is and how it works. And we said many times in that episode that we are planning on having a part two with another guest to really try and dig a little deeper into this topic. And that's what we did. The guest that we actually brought on is, believe it or not, Kyle's father, Frank Harrison. So we sit down again with Kyle and Frank, his dad, and we talk more about aquaponics. We get into kind of um, diversified learning and integrated science and kind of how aquaponics can be incorporated into education, which is something that's really important to Frank as a high school teacher. But then we also talk about kind of implementation of aquaponics systems and how one would go about starting a system or adding a system onto an existing farm and also kind of what's going on in the world of aquaponics and what's going on in this country and in other parts of the world as well and what the future may hold for aquaponics as a concept. So it's a really cool, casual, interesting conversation. I really hope you enjoy it and I recommend that you reach out to Frank if you have any other questions about this. But before we get into this conversation, I want to remind you, like I always do, to please subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen. That way, every time a new episode comes out, it will be automatically downloaded directly to your device. If you'd like to get a hold of us, you can email us at podcast at globalseafood.org or fill out the contact form at globalseafood.org slash podcast. You can also find us on twitter or x we are at aquademia pod and if you have a couple minutes we would really appreciate it if you would take the time to leave us a rating and review wherever you listen it really helps us out and we really appreciate everybody that's already done that thank you so much i will talk to you at the end
1: welcome to the aquademia podcast
0: our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. All right, so if everybody remembers, a few episodes ago, I had my colleague Kyle Harrison on. To talk about aquaponics. And we just kept saying, we're going to do a part two of this episode. We're going to talk about a lot of, a little bit, you know, some different aspects of aquaponics, get a little more detail. And we're going to bring another guest on to do that. And uh, conveniently, Kyle was like, hey, my dad's going to come on and talk to us. So uh, we have Kyle back on the show today. Hi, Kyle.
2: Hi, Sean. How's it going?
0: Good. Thanks for coming back. And uh, we also have Kyle's dad, Frank Harrison, on
1: to talk with us
0: about aquaponics some more. How's it going, Frank?
1: It's going great. It's good to catch up with you guys. Um, I'm Frank Harrison in Chichester, New Hampshire this morning.
0: Nice. Well, I am in my basement in Chester, New Hampshire. Excellent. Um, There's no chai about it, but I'm really excited. This is cool. This is the first time that we've had like a family affair on the podcast, I think. (laughs) We've had some parents of of guests and hosts write into us before, but this is the first time we've actually had a, a parent join us. And this is really cool because... Uh, I'm really excited. if you you listened, Frank, you listened to the, the last episode. That's right. yeah, it was so excellent. you you heard how excited I get about nerding out about systems and stuff like this. I just i I, yeah. I, uh, I get really excited about the the building and the design of of systems. It's something that I love. And mm-hmm. so what we thought we would do today is start off we'll we'll learn about you first, Frank. but then we're gonna sure. get into kind of um a little bit more details in aquaponics of, Two things, or three things, I guess. Awareness, because that's kind of what you do, uh, which we'll hear about. Implementation, which we touched on a little bit in the last podcast, but I want to get a little more details. Kind of how, what, what steps people can take to actually start doing this at their facilities if they want to. And then kind of just talk about what what's happening with it in the world, you know, like real world applications. Instead of looking at it as a, a concept, we're going to look at it as like what's actually going on in the world of aquaponics right now. So but first, Frank, let's let's hear from you. Give us your story. Tell us who you are. besides <clears throat> sure. Kyle's dad.
1: Yeah, that's right. So Kyle's dad, which um, is fantastic. Um, it's been so fun and gratifying to watch Kyle um, dive into science. So I'm a science teacher at Concord High School. Um, actually started in 1992, um, so been there for a little while. Um, we also taught uh, overseas. My wife's a teacher, a uh, fifth grade elementary teacher, and we went overseas for eight years. Kyle was actually born in Saudi Arabia. I don't know if you know that little tidbit about him, um, and uh, we were in Saudi for five years and then India for three, and have been I've been just doing science. Science is part of our life because you know we were a couple of teachers who were really interested in it and our kids um, have always been around it, Um, but we were careful not to pressure anybody into like, oh, you need to go into science. Um, Mm -hmm. And Kyle kind of has moved in that direction. It's been fun. Um, With Concord High School, we have an integrated science program and aquaponics I have found is the perfect integration. Um, There's so much engineering uh, involved with making a system and getting it to work uh, and it's a daily battle to maintain the system. In fact, I had three seniors this past school year who've graduated who really dove in and uh, just loved the, I think they love the spontaneity of just engaging with the system and uh, knowing that they have fish that are kind of relying on them um, and also having plants that they know they're going to produce. And we did lettuce uh, with actually goldfish and I'll talk more about that later. but knowing that they had all this in their hands and the decisions they made um, and the science that they were applying, they were taking a lot of theory that they've learned. And that's it's so rewarding for a teacher to see kids just get excited about um, these systems. And so that's a core of my teaching um, at Concord High School is an inquiry based model. Uh, There are 16 full-time science teachers at Concord High. It's a great place to be, a great place to work. Um, And our program really emphasizes integration of science through the next generation um, uh, science sort of movement that has sort of come in with the 21st century.
0: Can you talk a little bit about that? Actually, when you say integrated science, what is – Sure. Like, what what does that mean uh, in – respect to like other general science
1: here's what it means so you probably grew up taking like biology chemistry physics like that Mm -hmm. routine and it which is wonderful too because i did not want
0: to take physics (laughs) okay
1: so yeah that's right so that's (laughs) physics is always safe for last i know um and the and what's interesting is it all kind of starts with physics and so earth science space science engineering um these all these sciences are so important what we have found is well there are differing opinions about this, but at Concord High, um, we've been working on this for a long time, and we have found that, I mean, I'm a chemistry teacher. That's my degree is in chemistry and in biochemistry, and I love teaching it. But I, I am the first one to admit right up front, a, a typical sophomore in high school does not need a full year of chemistry, and to learn, you know, the the details of m- moles, if you remember that. Um, some people hear that word and they they have nightmares. Some people are excited, let's talk about moles. Frank, um, I
0: can't but, tell you how many times, how many chemistry classes I've taken. Okay. But they've all they've been the same class multiple times. Oh, interesting. So be- yeah. believe me, I remember because yeah. I've, I've failed chemistry more times yeah. than I'm proud of yeah. to yeah. say.
1: Yep. <laughs> Avogadro's number, all of it, right, you know, Once, I hit, once I hit
0: biochemistry, for yes. some reason, I was like, why did I not start with this? Like this was so much, made so much more sense that is interesting and
1: that's true and biochemistry always comes later later and yeah. so uh, we, we figured out that kids don't need a full year necessarily of biochem and physics and so what we've done and they were you know you would do bio maybe in your freshman year and then chemistry in your sophomore and then not really see any physics till your junior or senior year like it, it didn't make sense mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense and so and also you silo the topics as though you can actually do biology without chemistry, and you could do chemistry without physics. But the truth is you can't. And anyone you talk to who knows a little bit about these sciences is like, yeah, you can't do that. Um, if you really want to understand the biology of the body, you have to understand the chemistry of the body, et cetera. And so they all work together. And then you broaden that out. So what we've done – I'll give you Concord High story. What we've done is we've taken a, a freshman and sophomore go through a two-year program required – uh, where we have ngs one next generation science standards, ngs one, ngs two where they will get biology, chemistry, physics, earth science, space science, engineering, and scientific practices like the the idea of doing science in the inquiry method uh, in the the engineering cycle, right that we all go through when we're when we're doing experiments. and they get all of that um, for two years. and we have units that certainly focus you can't, mix all those things on a daily basis. That would right. be ridiculous, but <laughs> you know, we, we, you know, we'll have a stint where kids are just diving deep into earth science and then we'll draw in. So you can talk about plate tectonics and how the earth moves, but then right away, talk about the history of the earth and, and how cyanobacteria um, billions of years ago actually kind of brought the oxygen revolution in and, and then talk about um, the interaction of light and the interaction of um, sort of the atmosphere, and then you're just bringing it all in together. And in the past, I think we had this idea that, oh, you have to pin down um, like strong understanding of each independent science, and then maybe you'll integrate them when you're in your 20s or something. I don't know. Right, right, but yeah. that's really backwards. We, we need to start right away with kids thinking about science as integrated, as dependent on one another, and really have fun diving into that. It is complicated. Um, And it can be confusing. So I feel like that's job security for me, right? (laughs) Um, That you're not just going to like open up on the internet and just learn science. Um, I'm, I'm helping. And as teachers, we're helping guide kids through, okay, here's a bio piece. Here's a physics piece. Here's a chem piece. um, Here's earth science light, you know, and pull it all together. So that's integrated science.
0: (laughs) That's, I actually, I love that because like I said, when, when I did start taking biochem, it finally clicked with me and and i remember thinking like this makes sense because it's like applicable right like yes you're being asked questions you're 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 trying to figure out these chemistry questions but you're they're giving you a reason to figure it out right because it's it's you know this reaction is happening in this part of the body or whatever that's right and and it's like well now i understand why i'm doing this so i can get a better grasp on how to do it. Right. And, and I think yep. that's really is, is, is integrated science something that you think is becoming more popular in public schools or uh, is it still kind of in its infancy?
1: Yeah, I would say it gets a little pushback. People, some people feel that it, it, you know, they'll use phrases like, well, you've really watered down the chemistry or whatever for these freshmen and sophomores. Right. But um, that's what college is for. And well, it or even <laughs> at Concord High, anyway. Yeah, I know it. Um, at Concord High, the I, the theory is that kids build this background in these sciences, and then if they're really excited about the chemistry or physics, they can move on. We have all the AP sciences and high right. level yeah. work that you would do in your junior and senior year. So the integration piece stops, and then you dive deeper. And certainly, um, if you if you know you want to go into chemistry, you would just kind of pursue that direction, and hopefully that can even start. If you're interested in your freshman and sophomore year, you can take other electives. Um, but we want to make sure kids are well-rounded. And, you know, I guess the jury's still out. There are, there are many other high schools that haven't, not only do they still have the, the standard biochem physics, um, they also have levels within those. So in other words, remember this idea of like, you know, I don't know, r- r- basic chem and honors chem and college prep chem and all this. We don't do any of that leveling as well. We not, so not only are we academically integrating, but we're also socially integrating. Because when you create those levels, you're, you're really just doing a social experiment of kind of pushing kids into sort of um, uh, tiers. And socially, that has, I think, serious implications. Kids will naturally self-select if they're going to choose like AP Bio versus sort of some other uh, non-advanced uh, placement course. Um, so there is some self-selection in there, of course. But in general, we really uh, try to get the kids to work together at all levels. Um, they all bring strengths to the program. Uh, and then they can totally nerd out and go in a direction as they want to by the time they graduate. So we look at the four-year program as complete. Um, but, but I will point out that it is not the only way to do it. I think, um, I mean, there's proof here. Uh, Kyle, did you take uh, biochem and physics like a, in a siloed fashion at high school what, what's your memory
2: uh it was actually you know fairly flexible um and i was given a lot of choice um and that may have been actually because of just my placement and my relationship with my professors but it felt like a good mix of what was considered traditional education um but things were changing as i was leaving um, and they actually made some major reformations the year after I left high school. And then what, I what year was college. that,
0: Kyle? When did you finish high school?
2: <laughs> I graduated high
0: school in twenty eighteen. Twenty eighteen. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I I definitely had the uh, the siloed structure for mine. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know I, if this integration is as is, is happening in the town where I went to school, but I would. Yeah. And one of the, (laughs) one of the
1: pieces that is the the resisting piece is, is it just takes time. There's a lag because Mm -hmm. if you're a teacher, you're kind of like, you you went through this program to teach biology and certification in New Hampshire is certified. My certifications in biology. I also have a separate certification in chemistry, but if you're a teacher who just had, I like, Hey, I signed up to teach biology. What, what are we, what are we doing here? Right. And as a teacher and you have this career and that could be, you know, A 20, 30 year career of like, I plan to teach bio. And then 10 years into it, somebody says, Oh, you're gonna teach all the sciences. They're like, Whoa, wait a minute. Like they're not necessarily against it, but you can't just drop everything and start teaching physics. Like that that is true for me. I can't I actually so I've had to, we've had to work really hard in our department. Um, I've had to, you know, I've had to become friends with the physics teachers. Um, it's, it's not easy. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, you see,
0: you see more of that in in the younger grades, right? Like in the 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 middle school, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. Yeah, you're taking science. You know, yes, you don't just you science. Don't, you yeah. don't have biology. Maybe by eighth grade, you're you're starting in bio one. You're going yeah. up ahead, but you, you, a lot of time. I remember seventh grade. I remember having biology and then learning about meteorology and. And all kinds of different things. So, yeah, it's it's almost like you're taking a step back to that approach of like, well, let's k- start doing it the way that we have been doing it in these kids' lives up until they hit high school, right? Right. right. It's interesting. Yeah. But this is not a f- episode specifically on teaching science. This is about aquaponics. And so, That's like I right. said, aquaponics is kind of the perfect example of, um, you know, the, the perfect type of project to Integrate all of these different facets of science for these kids, and so tell us about kind of what you what you do with aquaponics in your day to day.
1: Yes, I, I will, and and it is exciting. So we have this, we have projects right now. I don't actually integrate it into a course. Um, that would take that's going to take a little more heavy lifting um, because curriculum like approval, I said, so there's okay. a lot of curriculum and things. And so, and, and moving parts and other teachers, you got to kind of work, everybody's working together. Um, so I don't integrate it into a class directly, although any students who have me learn about it, uh, just because it's in my classroom. Um, but I do have what's called an ELO, uh, extended learning opportunities. Um, you may know them from history. We call them independent study. Mm-hmm. Um, and so ELOs are Sweeping the nation as kids being able to customize their education for what interests them. I want to do this. Um, And it doesn't have to always be above and beyond like staying after school. Um, We're truly trying to integrate ELOs into students' schedules and they get credit for it. Um, it's, It's a work in progress. Because you have to have teachers or support personnel or adults outside of the school who are willing to support and help. And you have to have program coordinators to make that happen. And you have to keep everyone safe um, in that you know uh, sphere. Mm-hmm. So I am running a ELO for sustainable agriculture. And I have students coming up this year who will be working with. So I have a system already set up that was built with other students in the past. So they learned how to build it. These students are learning how to maintain it and improve it. And so you think about it, you have in aquaponics, um, you have the clear biology of fish care and plant care. Um, And so you need to know everything about photosynthesis and um, light and water uh, and atmospheric needs, right, Uh, coming in with with fish and plants, right, Um, with fish, you know, in terms of their food, you know, food in and waste out. Um, the, and then you suddenly slip right into the pH and the biochemistry going on with pH of the water for both species. If, if you have a species of fish and a species of plant that you're trying to target, um, you, have to, you have to understand the chemistry needs the micro and macronutrients. Um, so like typical fertilizer for those plants, but then a dozen other micronutrients that they need. Um, the fish are going to be producing their waste and then you, physics wise, you have to manage the movement, the fluid dynamics of all these pieces to be able to integrate with each other. Um, you have to understand a little bit about gravity to have that the lowest point of your system, your sump. Um, and then, it, you, you know, when you walk in one day and you walk in last week and you had 40 heads of lettuce, they look beautiful. And you come in on Monday and they're all dead. That's what happened to my kids in May. Mm. Um, it was a tough moment. I mean, there were no tears, but there was a gasp and we had some beautiful lettuce and somehow there was a leak in the system and we actually still haven't discovered it. So the tank was half, we have a thousand gallon tank um, at uh, Concord High, actually an adjunct site and it lowered about half. So we lost about uh, 400 gallons and the plants were all dead. So clearly what was happening is the, the, you know, the pump system getting the water out to the plants um, just had to have a leak. I don't think it was sabotaged. I think it was a leak. Um, and so the- We won't put anyone out there right yet. That's right. I, I just, <laughs> but, I, but here's the th- strange thing. The, just the other day, I was like, I think maybe we were sabotaged because I cannot <laughs> find the, link, the leak. <laughs> so that's our story. Um, and it was a good lesson for kids because, you know, it's life on the farm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's, I'm not a farmer, but I, am kind of a hobby farmer with turkeys and chickens and y- you, you, lose animals to like mm-hmm. the wilderness and it's, it's kind of devastating when it happens. And so this was a moment for these kids. They put in so much energy and we were, we had plans to use the lettuce in the culinary program. Um, like in, in about a week, the culinary program was going to use the lettuce. we were not going to sell it. We could, just integrate and they were going to sell it to, uh, so it could be lunch for teachers and like celebrating the whole thing, and we it was just gone. And I think that was a really good moment for these kids to be like, what just happened? I mean, it, it ignites passion, like that kind of failure just kind of launched them into igniting new passions to, we have to figure this out, mm-hmm. right? And I, it was, you know, so I look at it as positive, but I'm a pretty optimistic guy in general, so.
0: You know, that's so funny. I think it's something that everyone has been through, and any of our listeners who are farmers, can probably tell a story like that. I know yes. when I was in college, we were raising summer flounder in one of my classes and we went in one day and they were all dead. Oh, You know, you sometimes yeah. you walk in and your tank is just what it's happened? all yes. dead. And then yes. you got to figure out what happened. And it's like, this was our semester project. So oh. it's like, well, what do we do now? We got to like start a new system and like just do have baby fish for the rest of the term. Right. Uh, yep. I, I don't remember what it was. I think one of our nitrifying bacterias died off and they just like over right. the weekend, they just, they just suffocated. But you know, it's just one of those things. And, and and I remember in that moment, my professor, it was, I think it was Dr. Bankson over at the university of Rhode Island. He said, we, you know, we were all kind of like trying to like worried about our grade and stuff. And he's like, listen, you're not an aquaculturist until you've killed a million fish by accident. It's just <laughs> yeah, like, it's good. just gonna happen. Like these yeah. things happen. They're animals, they're, right. bi- they're biological beings. And, uh, they, mm-hmm. Sometimes they're going to die and that's just something that you have to deal with. And it's just Mm -hmm. like I said, I think everyone who is a farmer in any aspect, whether it's crops, uh, agriculture, terrestrial proteins or aquatic proteins, they have that story. It's happened. And uh, it's I don't want to say it's cool because it's not cool when it happens, but it is cool that um, these kids are getting that experience. Yep. Um, as they're you, learning the system, it's neat.
1: You do you need that, and hey, Kyle, I'm remembering when you, I think you tried to raise piranha, or yes. no, was that was it? Were yeah. they piranha or was it some kind of cichlid?
2: It was red belly piranhas.
1: And how'd that go? Which yeah. piranhas are a type of cichlid, aren't they? Am I wrong about uh, that?
2: Actually, I don't know. That's a that's a great question. I don't know what they fall under. Um, I'm looking it up. That go would ahead, be keep doing research. Yeah. Uh, so I. Uh, attempted to raise red belly piranha from uh, just little babies, uh, little fingerlings. And uh, I also had one of those moments where I came in one day and half the tank was empty. And uh, that was a devastating moment. All the fish were actually alive. But over the next couple of weeks of trying to nurse them back to health after this stressful event, they, one after another, just kind of fell off. And sometimes a system just can't recover after taking a hit like that, which, you know, emphasizes the experimental part of it for sure.
0: Yeah. I don't think piranhas are cichlids. They belong okay, to Caracidae, family Caracidae, okay. which includes Pakus, So, Oh,
1: interesting. Oh, okay. Yeah. In that, in that direction. We were close. So we were close. Yeah, That's not yeah, far yeah. off. <laughs> cool. And so, I'll mention, oh, uh, yeah, I'll mention something about the, the fish system since we're on the fish. So our first, my first like three years, we we worked with tilapia, and I ordered hundred tilapia, and we I figured they would size out to my tank well, and um, it was really fun, and we raised them, but they're a messy fish. They're relatively speaking, they're a messy fish. They they you know they they eat uh, they produce they eat and they don't necessarily eat all the food. So you have all that. Um, they kind of eat. They frenzy feed. They kind of that kind of fish. You throw something in, and like the the surface erupts, and then. Fun. Um, Yeah, that is pretty cool. But um, they also leave a lot of waste. And uh, so that was interesting to deal with that heavy amount of waste at my system. We had to keep on modifying the system to try to make sure we could keep up with the waste. And in the hot summer, the system is not – my system is outside – uh, under a grow dome, and so it would overheat in there, and so we could have algae blooms, and mm-hmm. it was kind of a mess. Warm water um, fish is yeah, y- yes,
0: it's definitely more of a hassle. Mm. Warm water versus cold water fish is like almost night
1: it's, and day. Yes, and I, and and then I really, we never went down the road of like um, wanting to sell because if you move into selling fish that people are going to eat, I mean that's you know, you gotta, you, you gotta have a stainless steel kitchen and, and certifications and all these things. And I was like, okay, to process everything. And so, um, we did kind of try it and we, we raised the fish for a year and then, um, ha- harvested the fish. And I mostly just kind of shared it with my family and friends and the kids and their friends and stuff like that. So, and it worked out fine. And it was, it, we felt it was safe and nobody, <laughs> nobody got, sick. got
0: sick.
1: So uh, Yeah, nobody got sick. So that was like, you know, fine. But I was like, after all that, I realized, no, I'm switching over to an ornamental and we went to Comet Goldfish and the comets are great. And I've, uh, we, I have right now in my tank, they grow slower, but I just bought, they were cheaper to buy. Um, and I figured just going ornamental now the, the whole like eating fish piece is just off the table. Mm-hmm. And because the ornamental fish, my goal is these guys are now six to eight inches and I can sell them for, you know, about, if you kind of look on the internet, I can sell them to people for their freshwater ponds. Nobody's eating anything, like not intending to eat them. And you just put them in your freshwater pond and they're ornamental and they're about 10 bucks a piece. You know, you can sell them for about that much. And I bought them for like 17 cents a piece because they're feeder fish. Mm -hmm. The the common feeder fish that you go into a pet store and find feeder fish, they're comets. And you lose some. But so if I buy 100, maybe 75 will kind of grow up. Um, And so and I know my system's working well because the other day I found baby comets in my filter so that means there's actually some breeding going on like you know a a, a non-warranted breeding going on in my tank system and i don't quite know what to do about that but i have to put finer mesh on my filters those little fish will probably just get eaten by the bigger fish that's just the way that's going to turn out but it shows me that there's something healthy if you have some breeding going on there must be something healthy about your fish population
0: yeah no for sure so I think a lot of our listeners that are interested in this topic probably are—they're uh, already uh, involved with the aquaculture aspect of it. I would imagine. Yes. And so we wanted to talk about implementation a little bit before we kind of go into what's going, what's actually happening uh, in the world of aquaponics. But so if we have listeners that have a fish system, either in a greenhouse in their backyard or in a giant warehouse out somewhere, or ponds or something, if they have a fish system and they say, "I love this idea of aquaponics," really cool i want to grow crops to diversify my farm a little bit let's talk about that implementation what steps do they need to be taking where right. should they and start you know
1: i would say i i'm kind of guessing you might have two two versions of listeners out there it would um you could have the person who's just sitting at home thinking i think i want to try this so there's i think that's that the, the little seed of the idea of somebody like i have a fish tank could I actually grow my own lettuce or basil or something? Awesome! Um, and so with those, with real small systems, DIY um, websites are out there for um, just creating some kind of tray system where you're going to get that water to flow. And so you have to, so you really have to learn your hydroponics, right? So you guys went into that last episode of what hydroponics is, and you have to, you have to figure out, okay. How do hydroponics work? What are these to to make a system so that I have flow of nutrient rich water? The emulsion is what that's called. So you have a rich emulsion um, that is going to feed your plants and you're going to be able to, you know, contain all that and do it safely and not make a big mess. Um, And a system that you can leave for the weekend and not worry about, right? You want, you don't want to have to have daily tabs on it. Mm -hmm. Um, I can actually leave my system in the grow dome for a month and it operates itself. Um, and I, it's not wise to leave for a month, but I, but I, you, I could, because I've walked in there and kind of looked at things over the summer and I'm like, eh, looks good. And I turn around and walk out. Um, and it's, I can, I can tell it's, you know, you have to build that into your system, that type of reliability. Um, the person who already is into aquaculture, you know, I think the biggest issues and it's a limiter is the space, right? So if you want to grow crops even if you're going to do vertical growing, which is the the revolution with this, is you can grow up, right? So great for urban environments. Yeah, we talked about um, Kyle's
0: vertical cornfield.
1: Yeah, that's right. The vertical <laughs> cornfield, which there is. So in Maine, um, there's a few sites in Maine. There's a tomato site and there's another lettuce site. And if you look these up, uh, Springworks is one of them in Maine and I think Lisbon, Maine. Um, And there's a fan, uh, I can't remember the town that the tomato facility is in, but they have these massive greenhouses. They grow tomato plants. They let them vine, you know, vining varieties that grow up, you know, 20 feet. And um, they have everything kind of based in the aquaponics. So if you can go vertical, um, that is the way to go, I think, in a lot of cases. Or if you have a lot of horizontal space, whatever, um, you that you in most cases you're going to want it covered so you're going to want some kind of greenhouse situation and that means you need good light in there if it's a greenhouse or if you're in a warehouse that means you're hooking up a lot of led lighting um so thankfully we have the led lighting now and it's lower energy cost but that's still a major deal right to hook up all that electricity and have that going maybe solar power um also to kind of provide the, you know energy for that so it it, we're not trying to cast uh, illusions here the hydroponics and aquaponics is as energy intense. Uh, there's a lot of energy and more energy is going to go into your production than say just planting lettuce out in your garden. Mm-hmm. I mean I have to spend money on more energy and I'm, I'm air quoting here um, more energy because who's provide or what's providing all that energy out there in my garden the sun, ready to roll, you know, it's like doing all that for us. Um, but if you're suddenly putting stuff on the inside because it has to be protected, you can't just leave your aquaponics mm, systems out in the elements. Right. The Right. So, but now a couple of advantages, 90% less water is used by the time you're done producing that head of lettuce. Mm-hmm. Um, also, it can grow faster because you can keep those lights on essentially 24 um, seven, right? And so your your yield time is shorter. So you might be able to get one more crop in per year if you're, if you're doing a rotation um, as well. So it is energy intensive, yet there are uh, some great, you know, and and also local supply. The fact that you can get lettuce in, you know, November fresh lettuce in November from Maine. You're in Maine, you buy it from Maine as opposed to it being shipped from the West Coast. So when you add all those things up, the it's it's very win-win. Mm-hmm. But locally, it is gonna co- it's gonna cost you. For that input of energy right
0: so you gotta you gotta weigh the pros and cons with this right yes it's something to look into pretty seriously all right so we're 30 minutes in so i don't want to you know dwell too long on any one subject but i do want to use the remaining time to kind of talk about the world of aquaponics and what we're seeing what's out there what what is happening and what we think the future is in you know as much detail as you would wish to go into so wherever you want to start and then kyle you're here too um, and I w- <laughs> I want to hear from you too because you're you know you have just as much input as anyone else and so um, make sure that you jump in with with any thoughts that you
1: have as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll start with the. Let's think about a story about solar power. Um, so, both I got a guy
0: coming tomorrow to put reinforcements on my roof structure for
1: solar panels. For solar panels, excellent. Yeah. So. Kyle uh, we'll, we'll pick on both Kyle and Sean here. When do you guys think um I'm not an authority on this but when do you think solar power like started? When did people learn about solar panels and and that were a thing and um and you know how, how long has functional solar panels and power been around? I'm not Which even going to try. Give well give just give a give a give a <laughs> give something.
0: <laughs> I mean the technology of solar panels. I think solar energy has probably been understood for hundreds of years. But I think solar panel technology, I would say probably what, fifties or sixties.
1: And, and right? what would what would you say, Kyle?
2: Yeah, I was I was thinking for what we know as actually capturing electricity from sunlight. I was going to guess anywhere from the 60s to the 80s.
1: Right, and I would I would agree with you. We could I get it. We could go to Wikipedia and find out some great history. You know, so Albert Einstein really helped us understand the photoelectric effect, the idea that hey, you can you can shine light on this and it moves electrons, right? Um, cool. So and then you know certainly by the the 60s 70s. Um, people had functioning, you know, at universities, I think there were functioning solar panels that were actually, it was still expensive, like, a, you know, I don't know, I don't know the actual dollars, but things like maybe a single panel was 1000s of dollars. And so nobody could functionally just like the first computers, home. right? Took um, up an entire yeah, room, and it was hundreds of thousands yeah, of dollars. <laughs> that's right. And now we're at the stage where well, by I don't know, I'll just pick a date. It's like, let's by 1990, it was a very practical thing. Like you could go and you could buy solar panels or have a solar installer. Um, I mean, literally, I think people were doing that in the 70s, but by 1990. So we're good, right? Everybody's got solar panels on their roof. <laughs> What's your opinion on this? How often are you seeing solar power? How many of you have your friends? Sean, are you fully solar powered here with your radio station? Uh, Down no, in the basement. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you're going there. You know what's funny though, actually, over the last five years or so that I've lived in, I mean, I've, how long have I been in Chester? Probably seven years. I have noticed every year there's more and more houses that do have them. Yes. Which is, it seems to be growing pretty rapidly. And my house is next in line.
1: <laughs> okay. So here's my point solar power has been around a clean, practical photovoltaics has been around for a clean 50 years. Okay. We'd all, we'd all, like from 1970 um, to 2020, right? That is a clean 50 years where we've had the practical application and still it is embarrassing how little is honestly out there. I get it. We're all seeing more, but I, I think still we're looking at like one out of, I don't know these numbers either. I'm making this up, but one out of a hundred people are actually like, could raise their hand and say, yeah, my house is powered by solar power, you know, or even worse than that. Right. Um, and so, but brand new businesses, they, they know it's economical. They're, they build it right onto like flat, a flat top building. They'll build it right in there. Mm-hmm. Um, they, because on in the long run it saves money, but why didn't it happen? I'm not, I'm not bashing. I'm not going to go into some terrain of bashing oil companies, et cetera, et cetera. But I think just, socially because I'm part of the problem I have been driving a gas powered vehicle my whole life. I'm part of the problem. and so the and and then I have gas um, uh, heating my home, right So we are all part of the problem. Socially, it is just cheaper to use this alternative fuel as so the reason we're seeing things change and finally some po- solar power getting a grip here, is because the the economics have changed. It does come down to the wallet, ultimately, if you're going to have society change and cultural shifts and um, resources. And so the same, now just imagine everything I just discussed and now shift that over to aquaponics. Mm -hmm. So what we're going to see is viable systems that came out, say, about by the year, sooner than this, just like solar panels, but by 2000, so 20 years ago, very viable interesting aquaponics hydroponics and aquaponics hydroponics has been around for 50 years as well aquaponics as well so like and i heard the conversations you guys had it's like actually aquaponics go back thousands of years right you know so if you look at sort of you know mayan culture or whatever i think some of those things that you guys are talking about and
0: yeah go um, back If, if you haven't if you listen to this episode and you haven't heard the previous episode we had with kyle go back and stop this Go back yes. and listen to that, and then come back. <laughs> You'll understand <laughs> much
1: much better. It it would help. And so all these innovations are present, but right now it still is essentially much cheaper to just have a big farm, grow a bunch of lettuce out there on the soil, throw water on it. That is a that is one time use, um, and keep because it's cheaper, a lot cheaper. Mm-hmm. And we have a system. We have an infrastructure built for it. So we are now entering, I think, a revolution. But it's it it will barely be in my lifetime. And but by 2050, um, we might start to see numbers like you know uh, 10% of the world food production through aquaponic systems or something. You know, again, I'm making up numbers. So, but um, I, so it's not an official prediction. But because right now we're at if you probably couldn't even identify a percent. It'd be a fraction of a percent. Um, but we'll start growing in that direction as water becomes more scarce. Fresh water becomes more scarce um, as s- growing space becomes more scarce, mm-hmm. and as urban as as urbanization happens and people figure out that oh, I can grow this, you know, I can add a vertical growing column on my skyscraper and have that whole thing provide fresh, you know, f- fresh produce for everyone who lives in this building. Um, and it's like part of the rent, or I don't know. So you can come that's up cool. with. Cool. It sounds once like something from seeing, a sci-fi
0: movie. You know.
1: Yeah, that's right. And it shouldn't. Um, it should be something that is more commonplace. But we need movers and shakers to move in this direction and take risks, because we just discussed that it's it's not part of the regular infrastructure. It just like. Mm, when I put solar panels on my home 12 years ago, I, I I knew I had to be under the be under panels because I teach this stuff. I'm like I can I feel like a hypocrite if I don't. Mm-hmm. It did cost. Tw- I had to take out a loan for $20,000. I didn't oh, just wow. have that money sitting around. I took out a loan for 20k. Um, I, I did all the math. In 10 years, I knew that I would um, basically get that money back. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was incentives that actually with the federal and state incentives, it brought that number back down. And then in 10 years, basically the money I wasn't paying out on ele- my electric bill um, paid for those solar panels. But after that 10 years, now for 15 years, um, it's just money in my pocket that I'm not paying on the electric bill and my solar panels are doing great. Not to mention all the carbon um, emissions that I haven't pumped out in the atmosphere. So, But that, that was a risk that we took. I had the capital up front to be able to do it, to take out that loan. Um, and the credit, your average Joe Schmo is, is not, that is not top on their list. So the same with aquaponics, that's well, why keep- in
0: this day and age with the, yes. the, the economy that we have now, which is a whole other thing that we don't need to get into. That's not, this. Is no. not, <laughs> that's not this podcast, but that's, yep. that's not attainable for people, especially like people in my generation. Like I'm not paying a cent for mine right now, but interesting, all of those incentives and everything that's getting kicked back to that's, what's paying for them. Right. So yes. I'm not seeing those. Yep. So that's yep. that's kind of the difference. There's a whole it's a it's a complicated setup of how it's, they're making it so it's not costing me anything for the implementation, but yes, uh, yeah, it is going to be beneficial down the line. Still, just like you said, it's something that people need to look into the future, really, which is hard to do and, when you're living in the now. And,
1: <laughs> right, and that's where that's exactly where we are with aquaponics. So and and hydroponics. I kind of I think we can talk about those almost interchangeably. Yeah. Um. And aquaculture, I think aquaculture is a stronger industry. I mean, I mean that's what you guys are all about, right? Well, there's aquaculture a more, there's is a more a strong... immediate
0: thing, right? Like, there's that. Yes, you're you're feeding people right now with that.
1: Yes, you know, yes.
0: you're not having to make the changes to feed people in the future. So, right, that's it's it's right. a little bit ahead of it, right?
1: Yes, out of necessity. That's good. That's a good point. And I don't know um, if I mean that'll be interesting to see um, compliance and regulations about aquaculture uh, shifting into aquaponics um and for because suddenly you're talking about a plant product obviously um uh, in association there with your your animal product kyle um, are you I'll, working I'll, on I'll t-
2: that? oh yeah no absolutely I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm the driving force here at gsa for aquaponics um, <laughs> all right no, yeah actually to your point dad real quick i I really do think that it's noticeable, the difference between aquaponics and aquaculture and traditional agriculture and hydroponics. Mm -hmm. Um, There's there's a significant difference there. And the fact that people already do, it is an established industry practice to have aquaculture. That is a significantly more costly way to produce fish rather than just going out into the ocean with a big old trawler and pull out stuff that's already been grown in nature uh, hmm. so mm-hmm. it's much cheaper but there are financial and other energy incentives to actually have an aquaculture system so i believe the same thing can kind of happen with aquaponics over time, it's also it's, take quite a bit it's also
0: time. the reliability right like you feel much more comfortable that when you have an aqua, aquaculture system at this time next year you're going to have this many roughly this many fish that you are going to be able to sell. And you can right. you can be much more confident about that than saying, well, by the end of next year, we're going to go out and we're going to fish. We're going to chase these stocks around. And we think that we could probably get this many fish, maybe as long as those stocks have not moved to a place that we can't find them in time. Or, you know, there's not some other catastrophic climate event that that changes things, right? So it's just, it's the, the reliability of, of having more control over that output is what I think has pushed that forward too. And like you said, with uh, traditional agriculture, it's already established and they can say that. They can say, you know, based on weather patterns, we can guess that this is what's going to happen by the end of next year. We have this much acreage Correct. for growing and uh, right. we will be able to sell roughly this much product at the end of this fiscal year. Um, yep. But they're not going and gathering plants out in the wild. That doesn't happen anymore, right? So, right, <laughs> so right, right. Um, that's already been established. So now there's the unknown of, well, we're going to build the system. It's going to cost a whole lot more money, but we're eventually we're going to be able to do both, but we don't know reliably what those are yet, right? So right, I, I right. think that's probably, to me, that's where I think the hold up probably is. I mean, am I understanding that correctly?
1: I, I think so. In a and way. I, it, <laughs> I think you're right, and I think it's it's interesting. We started this conversation with integration, and there is that next level of integration in order to be a, to run a business or or to run a whole new infrastructure system. So you have to integrate the, the social aspects, um, the time in people's day, how people do business, the financial side. Uh, so all those pieces certainly have to come in. You have to have a strong business plan if you're going to move into the aquaponics industry um but it's a budding industry that I think people are interested in in other words people will people will say oh this is sustainable organic aquaponic lettuce I'm going to buy that it's 50 cents more than this lettuce but that's okay right so you are you have to I mean there's so marketing is going to be a big part of this as well and and PR mm-hmm. um so I think that's where people are moving and I think there's a social a social movement in that direction um, that is going to be good for aquaponics and hydroponics uh, as we move forward, and sustainable aquaculture as well. You know, I'll talk about. It. We'll add another sciency tidbit here. The in any system, the it's very hard to balance. You cannot optimize the same system for fish and for your plants because they have different needs. The easiest one to pick on is pH. Mm-hmm. So tilapia might have a perfect pH of you know 8.2 and then, or somewhere in that neighborhood. And then, you know, lettuce might have an optimum pH of 6.5, and that's a conflict, right? And so, you might try to find this happy medium at pH 7, um, which isn't bad, but you're not going to optimize either. either, No, that's exactly right. And so, there's decoupled systems now. They decouple commercial systems now fully. It's like the next generation of aquaponics. They decouple the filter system. Instead of it just like taking that fish water and dumping it through your plants, right? That's what I'm doing. That's first-generation aquaponics. Um, you know, it goes through some filters. It should look clear. It should not never look like dirty, quote-unquote. The nutrients are all at the, the micro level. Um, but actually, the new systems, the commercial systems are decoupled, is the word they use, so that they filter the fish waste and concentrate it and then have a backwash system that pushes that into the plant loop um, and so, to, and then eventually the water is filtered from the plants and will come back into that system. And so they have there's, uh, there's two or there could be. so there's different versions of this, but there's two loops that are going, the the fish loop and the plant loop. And then the key, the connection is concentrating the fish waste. And then pushing that in a one-way valve direction into the plant loop, so that the nutrients are there. So that's a decoupled system, and you can actually keep the pH now different. So you can have the fish loop be on this pH, and then and other nutrients going on in there because you can Um, buffer them separately. yeah, you buffer them all separately, and you can change the the temperature can be different. Um, the all kinds of things can be different. Once it's decoupled, a little more expensive, uh, you know, but uh, it's definitely the way to go if you're going to uh, venture into the commercial system.
0: So, do you, with that being said, you know, talked about these this optimization is there? Has there kind of been some established pairings of like fish species with Plant species, or is that still kind of far out there?
1: I think my understanding is we talked a little bit about the complication of you do have to. I don't know the answer. I think the answer is yes, but I don't know. I can't name for any particular yeah. pairings. I um, know it's like like pairing, you know, chocolate with wine or something, um, and the right having the right ones. And everybody might have their opinion after they do the research. So for sure, a single system um, has to figure out what their pairing should be. And you might figure out I'm going to try tilapia, or maybe I'm going to do. Um, you might get a lot more money if you do three rounds of shrimp. You know, as a tilapia takes a whole year to grow, it's one one product per year. That's that's mm-hmm. all you're going to get out of it. But you have to understand what you're getting like price per pound, right? In the in the end, and then after you process it, if you could if you could do shrimp, for example, you might they grow quicker, and you you might be able to get three harvests, and then you got to figure out your price per pound there and your processing. And just make a decision which one's going to yield, and what do I have capacity for, and what's going to yield, you know, uh, good results. And then you would do the same with the plants. And then of course you have to marry that together. But with decoupled systems, that's going to become easier. Um, and they're actually finding now that it was a lot of leafy vegetables, good for simple growers, you know, things like that. You eat the whole plant or much of the plant, like spinach, lettuce, um, or something, you know, like maybe herbs like basil um but they're learning that you can you can you can harness an aqua an aquaponic system to do even root vegetables um potatoes so they're kind of integrating new ways oh, uh, so you can do we some research that on last that.
0: time we, we were like how can you possibly you know, We were saying like well you probably can't do any root vegetables <laughs> right
2: yeah well it's a challenge it's it's one of it's part of the aquaponics journey and experimenting mm-hmm. uh for sure that and that might mean talking to someone who's a potato expert, you know, there are different farmers who have different expertises. Mm -hmm. So this idea that you're bringing up about decoupled systems could possibly be even just completely separate farms owned by different people um, and forming an agreement to, you know, produce fertilizer for plants and produce clean water for fish and having that each person have their own niche, each farm focus on their specialty. Mm, and Kyle point. would
0: love that because that would make certification much more streamlined. Yes. <laughs>
2: exactly. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we're getting a little bit
0: low on time, but I wanted to ask w- one last question and possibly more if they come up. But where are we seeing like the most aquaponics innovation, implementation, uh, either in the US or in other countries? Is there like... Kind of hubs in sections of the world where it's really popular and they're really kind of trying to do a lot, or is it kind of just still? You know, everyone's kind of feeling things out.
1: Right. It my my opinion, kind of with a cursory search, um, is that it seems I don't seem to find a hub. Um, it seems like it's it's happening sporadically in different places. Um, usually, there's there's more of an academic interest behind it uh, and a Innovation interest of, of speculators, um, not so much driven out of this is the only way we can grow food. We need to do this. You know, it's right. it doesn't seem to be out of urgent necessity. It seems to be more out of innovation and people speculating to move forward into something. Either they just find interesting and cool or they believe it is an answer to sustainable agriculture. A lot of sustainable agriculture pieces come out of dry places, on the planet, so Israel has Israel has, um, from what I've read, has really pioneered a lot of um, like hydroponic work. Uh, because when you say things like you can save ninety percent of the water, right, or, or use ninety percent less water um, in this system, Kyle, you have thoughts on that or more?
2: Yeah, I was I was going to say actually when I was doing all my uh, crazy research dive for my capstone project in college. I mentioned last episode that all of those resources were published in, and were peer-reviewed in the past 10 or 15 years. And actually only one of them came from the U.S. Uh, all of those other sources were just everywhere, South America, the Middle East, in Europe. And I do think that there are certain uh, cultural and environmental pressures that will produce aquaponics in specific places like where water is much more scarce.
1: Right. Yeah, makes sense. Makes a lot
2: of sense. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. For sure. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, Frank, is there and Kyle, is there anything else that you guys want to get out there before we wrap up? Any message you want to give to our listeners?
2: <laughs>
1: um, I would say uh, to the to the the casual sort of DIY hobbyist. Um, I think if you have a fish tank at home, you you need to go online and find some simple. Um, either DIY instructions or maybe a simple kit that you can apply and, and just have, instead of a, a lid on over the fish tank, uh, just have a filter system that you can just pop up there and grow your own herbs or grow some lettuce. So you got to try it. Uh, it's fun. It'll inspire. If, if you have kids at home, it'll inspire them um, or, or neighbors coming over and, and say, yeah, I grew this right here. Uh, and growing your own lettuce, like you can do this, of course, in the middle of winter, right? So, uh, those That kind of small move, I think, would be fantastic, and you'll, you'll have fun doing it. Cool.
0: I, I assume that some of your students will probably give this a listen, so anything you want to say to them?
1: Um, well, I guess I would uh, simply say that we need, it, it's becoming, a, it's a trope to say it, but we need the next generation. We need young kids uh, truly inspired by uh, sustainable agriculture, and there is that idea of, like, um, you kind of have to get over this idea of, well, I didn't make this mess or I didn't, you know, I'm not the one who developed the infrastructure we have now. Why is this so hard uh, to change? But, you know, I think every generation faces that question. We all inherit some great things, but we also inherit the baggage that comes with some of that too. Sure. And so um, every generation faces that. So you just kind of get over that and just move forward with innovation and, and uh, trying something new. And sustainable agriculture is – becoming a, a very common like major uh, either a two-year degree associate's degree or four-year degree in sustainable agriculture um, at many universities and community colleges. so uh, lots of room for growth and and for for jobs I think there's going to be a lot of jobs in this industry. Fantastic.
0: Kyle, you got anything else you want to say before we wrap up?
2: No, I'd say that that's about it. That hit the nail on the head.
1: Well,
0: Kyle, I'm glad you were able to join us again. And Frank, I'm so grateful that you were able to to come on the show. And it's kind of Mm -hmm. it's really cool that we get to have father and son talking about a topic that you're both passionate about. I think that's really awesome. Uh, I actually do a podcast with my father all about music because that's something that we're both passionate about. He was a DJ for 30 years. So like, it's really, I I love seeing this kind of stuff. I think it's really important. And uh, I really think that the work that you're doing to inspire young people to get excited about this new technology and these kind of things that are going to help save our lives in the future. You know, I think it's, it's really honorable and I, and I appreciate you doing that. So Frank, Thank you so much. Uh, if anybody wants to get in contact with you, what is the best way for them to do that? Should we reach out to us here at the show? So then, no, we, actually, Kyle can reach I would, out to you
1: or? I can shout out an email, my school email. Would that be okay? Sure. Yeah, we'll put it in the show um, notes, and then you can put it in the show notes. It's f harrison at sau8 dot F harrison. That's at sau8.org. And that's, uh, the SAU8 is the Concord School District. Um, so sure, anybody could contact me or if you live near Concord and want to come over and check out the Grow Dome, um, we'll show you what's going on. I'd love on. to. Right now, it's full, of we- it's, it's full of weeds right now, so you can't come now because it's, it's summer. Yeah.
0: No, I, <laughs> but, I, I would actually, I would love we'll to come by. That. that would be really cool. Uh, I think my girls would really love to see it too. And like I said, I'm in Chester, so I'm probably 30-ish yeah. minutes from Concord, so <laughs> not far. too
1: bad. Yeah, we might be able to work that out. Cool.
0: Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, We really appreciate it. And we'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye. Alrighty, thank you, Sean. Folks, that was my conversation with Kyle Harrison and his father, Frank, all about aquaponics and uh, integrated science. And I really had a great time with this conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope you learned something. And I hope that you are subscribed to this podcast wherever you listen so every time we drop a new episode of Aquademia it will automatically be downloaded directly to your device if you want to get in contact with us you can fill out the contact form at globalseafood.org podcast or email us at podcast at globalseafood.org and if you have a couple minutes we would love if you could leave us a rating and review wherever you listen it really helps us out a lot and we appreciate everybody that's already done that and lastly if you like what we do and you want to be more involved in the work that's done at the Global Seafood Alliance you may want to consider becoming a member and all of the information about our membership program can be found at globalseafood.org membership thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you next time